really the best part of teaching for me is watching people get excited about learning. And when something clicks, I'm sure other former teachers or current teachers or even students know like that moment when that light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I get it. And I love this. And that process, it's so awesome to be a part of that and to be the person that guides somebody to that point. So that for me is rewarding in and of itself. If that's all I got out of it, like that's it. Welcome to Beyond the Bench, the podcast where we delve into stories of scientists and their work. My name is Kimberly Yules, and I'm a new host of the podcast, actually. I'm currently a second-year PhD student in chemical and environmental engineering. And today, uh, co-hosting with me is Madison Sankovitz, a PhD student in entomology. Today, we have a really exciting guest, someone I've actually indirectly known since high school. And I knew her uh, about her really through her brother, who was my really good friend. And um, after following her on social media and learning about the things that she's done, I thought she would be a really great guest to interview today. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Tamara Elhayek Ewing, who has a Master of Science in Chemistry from the California State University at San Marcos. She is currently an instructional support technician slash lab, lab manager at CSUSM. She was formerly a high school chemistry and math teacher. And finally, she's currently a TikTok personality where she creates videos related to life in STEM and educational videos. So if we could just jump right in, Tamara, could you tell us about your background and what really sparked your interest in science in general and chemistry in particular? Yeah, so thank you both Madison and Kimberly for having me on this podcast. I'm super excited to be here and just share kind of my background, like you said, and the things I'm passionate about in chemistry and education. So to answer your first question about my background, it's a lot. So I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can. Um, but as you mentioned, my current role is essentially an academic um, lab manager. And I work in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. Um, and this job I found and kind of grew to love after quite a roller coaster of uncertainty that started in my undergraduate chemistry experience. Um, I started off actually as a pre-pharmacy biochemistry major, um, but after taking my first biology class, I realized I really don't like biology. So I switched to chemistry and then I uh, actually did chemistry education as my undergraduate research project, which I was it was required for me to graduate. Um, and then that kind of led to my short but very enlightening uh, teaching career um, I, that I've since left for my current position. Um, and during those two years of teaching, I actually prepped four different courses of curriculum. I did math, so pre-algebra, algebra one, algebra two, and then chemistry with its lab. And I was in a brand new program. I was starting from scratch. Um, I was working on my credential at the same time. So it was like super, super overwhelming. Um, I felt like I was drowning like every day. Um, and I didn't know how to reach out for help. I didn't know how to ask for help and nobody was actively reaching out to help me. So I struggled quite a bit, um, unfortunately. And 
through kind of that process, I ultimately realized that even if I did, you know, get really good at teaching at the high school in the high school classroom, I figured, you know, this isn't going to be a long-term career thing for me. I couldn't see myself doing it long-term. So in my second year, like halfway through my second year of teaching, I decided to apply to grad schools and I wanted to take my passion for chemistry and education and, you know, try to present it to a different audience. So I had found that the University of Colorado Boulder had a PhD program in chemistry curriculum and instruction. And I had previously worked um, in Colorado as an intern and I loved the area. So I was like, oh, if I get into this program, it would be a dream come true. This would be such an awesome thing for me. Um, and so I applied to just that one school. I was like, I, this is the one I want to go to. And I got in. Um, and this is kind of where the plot thickened a little bit for me because <laughs> in my personal life, I had some other dreams coming true. Uh, and my husband, now husband, actually proposed to me while I was going through that process. So uh, I ended up deferring my acceptance to the program uh, for a year to plan my wedding. And I started working in my current role. Um, and that year kind of gave me time to reevaluate that uh, curriculum and instruction program and determine if it was really the right thing for me moving forward. Um, and so after some pretty intense deliberation, I had to really, really question my motives for going and a lot of the things that you know came with moving to a completely new state. Um, and I talked to so many people about this, but I ended up turning down the offer after a whole year of sitting on it and deciding back and forth. Um, and I continued to work in my current job, which I, you know, I did enjoy, but I couldn't stop there because I was just too excited about all these other opportunities that, you know, I could, I could pursue. So I started a master's program in my second year of working. Um, and then I was working full time at the same time. And then the pandemic happened and there was just kind of a crazy whirlwind of two years, but I ended up graduating in May this past year. Um, yeah, yeah, it was quite a bit. Um, and then uh, I continue to work obviously in my current role. And then now I'm actually doing some consulting, chemical consulting on the side um, in kind of the field of uh, like the fuel industry. Um, and then I'm also a creative person, as you mentioned. So last year, amid all of this as an outlet, I started making TikToks just for fun. And then I also launched a small sticker uh, and art business earlier this year called Element and Molecule. So a ton of stuff going on. Yes. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, there, there's just, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> That is a lot, but I, I love the journey and I think it's really awesome how you've reevaluated along the way as you go. And I find that that's sometimes a mistake that a lot of people make, including myself, where you, you think you're on this one path and you're so focused on getting to the end that you're not like continuously reevaluating and thinking about, is this really right for me? Is it not? And you're talking to people. And I think that that's that's amazing. And, and congratulations on graduating recently. Yay, That's awesome. You. Yeah. So Kim and I are both grad students right now, and there's a lot of grad students who listen to this podcast and that's um, a big audience who we make it for in the first place. And uh, I think both of us are probably curious along with our listeners about how did you find a balance between your personal life and grad school whenever you were in your master's? And knowing that you're a creative person, I'm sure you had some other projects going on that weren't necessarily your master's. So like, how did you juggle all that and find balance? 
Yeah. So uh, honestly, I'm not sure if I feel like <laughs> expert enough <laughs> to give an answer to this because like really when we think about balance, it's such a work in progress, like all the time as new things get onto your plate, you're always reevaluating different tools and prioritizing mm-hmm. different things. And like, I've made so many mistakes along the way, drop the ball in different areas. And it's just a matter of, like you said earlier, like reevaluating, what am I doing and how is this, how's this, um, helping me reach my ultimate goals. Uh, one big takeaway I do want to offer is that, you know, you really need to be able to define your wants, your needs, and your expectations for all of your, the different things you're trying to balance as well as you possibly can. And the, e- the better you do this, you know, the easier it will be to sort of delegate tasks and know, you know, what to prioritize when. And that includes things, you know, on the work school side of stuff, and then also on like your self-care and then maintaining your relationships as a part of it too. So like, um, a big part of that for me was actually trying to deconstruct some previous beliefs I had held about how things, you know, quote unquote, should be. So like when I got married, um, I had this really like built deeply ingrained conception of, you know, what it meant to be a good wife and what it meant to be a good woman and just all of these, you know, ideas of how I needed to keep my home and everything needed to be clean and, you know, you know, homemade dinners every night and blah, 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 you know, all these just like things mm-hmm. that I ha- had held yes. um, that I didn't realize. And, you know, until I got married um, and it re- for a while, I didn't allow myself to question whether or not those things were, you know, necessary. They kind of just felt mandatory and they were just like things, pressures I had put on myself. So it really wasn't until I started confronting those ideas and saying, you know, like, if I drop the ball on this, or if I don't reach the standard, or if I don't meet this expectation within myself, what is really the outcome? And can I sacrifice that? Can I be okay with that? And can I let that go in order to make room for some of these other things that are higher priorities, you know, like making time for, you know, working on an assignment or digging deeper into my literature or preparing a a project or whatever it was that that had come up. So really what I want to offer is, you know, take time to sit and reevaluate what you, the things you think or perceive as necessary, because they may actually not be as necessary as you once believed. And that can help open up a lot of room in the day to do the, you know, the new task that's on your plate. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That's really awesome advice. Um, And I'm sure a lot of graduate students or even just students in general would be so appreciative hearing that because it's really hard to prioritize uh, like you're saying. So that's, that's great. Um, switching gears really quickly. And so earlier you mentioned that you, you know, started making TikToks during the pandemic, and I'm sure this was related somewhat, or maybe you can clarify, uh, somewhat related to your desire for, or like passion for education. So what sparked your desire to start TikTok? And, if it is related to education, what do you find is the most exciting aspect about educating young people in STEM? Yeah, so TikTok was partial, a part of starting TikTok was I had in mind this idea of using it as a platform, you know, to teach and be kind of my weird outgoing self that, you know, not a lot of people that knew me were on TikTok. So I could be, you know, really embrace that total (laughs) chemistry nerdy part of myself. Um, And really the best part of teaching for me is watching people get excited about learning. And when something clicks, like 
I mean, I'm sure other former teachers or current teachers or even students know like that moment when that light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I get it. And I, I love this and that process. It's so awesome to be a part of that and to, you know, be the person that guides somebody to that point. So that for me is like, it's rewarding in and of itself. If that's all I got out of it, like that's it. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Max. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I love that. I was just going to say, um, I mean, now that TikTok is more popular, I feel like it started to get really popular at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, what is this TikTok thing people <laughs> are talking about? Um, and now more and more, I do see other people using the platform to communicate science. We've actually interviewed another SciCom TikToker on this podcast who she studies cannabis science and oh, yeah. uh, like teaching people about essentially the chemistry behind it. Is it uh, cannabicam? So, is it Riley? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yay! Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh my gosh, it she's was, so awesome. Yeah, it was really fun talking with her. She's so cool. Yeah, she um, totally is. Yeah. Do you follow her? Do you know her? Yeah. No, I don't know her. her. I mean, I have a parasocial relationship with her. Like, I follow her. She follows me. I go to her lives. Like, yes. she's bought stickers from my store. Just like, she's just a super oh, cool. cool person. I love watching her stuff. That's awesome. I know she, and she's like going on to be this cannabis educator and other aspects. Yeah. She too. just defended and... her PhD. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. yeah. so she, she like, she did it live on TikTok. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to stop in. It was like early in the morning for us. And I just stopped in for just a little bit while she was talking. Always oh, like natural product stuff and not just cannabis talks, but right. it was really yeah. interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, I've never heard of her before. You never what? I've never heard of uh, this person before. I, I should look. Yeah, look you got to look her up. She's really interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, no, she's great. That's completely epic that she defended <laughs> her PhD live on TikTok. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so cool. And I guess that kind of leads into this other question that I have that there's this progression of more people communicating science via TikTok and other social media platforms. And the people who have been kind of expert at for a while are continuing to bring in new aspects of it to the platform. Like maybe this is a common thing that I've never heard of people giving actual scientific talks while being live. And I think that that's amazing. Uh, and maybe we'll see more of that in the future. So how do you see social media playing a role in the way that we communicate science and how have you seen this change over time and where do you think it's going in the future? Yeah. So I, I genuinely think that social media and science communication is just only going to get bigger. And I think as more people that are experts and especially like this next generation, as we kind of grow into these social platforms, more of us will want to share on them. And I think, I think it's a great thing that people with expertise are getting into these fields because in general, I would say that a lot of people, you know, get their information from social media now, and whether it's, you know, through their, you know, personal social groups or through these parasocial groups, like I was talking about, you know, people are just looking to get information from people that they relate to. And I, you know, I was just joking with somebody about, (laughs) how quickly sometimes we can throw away like our hard research and all this stuff that we've looked through when we feel like somebody we know and trust tells us different. Like if you've ever Mm -hmm. gone and like to buy a computer, a brand new computer and like, I don't really understand, 
you know, the different specs and models <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, does it have a good battery life? All right. I guess that's for me. Yeah. But like you go and, you know, you could do all of this research. And if you go into talk to somebody that has expertise in that field and they're like, no, that's a junk computer immediately. Like I would just be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you're probably, you're probably right. Right. So yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I have this phrase that I love. I love to, it's like one, just one of my favorite phrases. It's that, you know, humans are not rational creatures. We're rationalizing creatures. And that phrase like really stuck with me. You know, we're not necessarily, you know, as scientists, we're trained to be skeptical. We're trained to look for data and facts and make meaning in, in a very, you know, organized way. But in general, people aren't doing that. They're just looking to, you know, draw conclusions and find meaning in whatever way that they can. So the more you know, people with backgrounds and expertise that get into this realm and make these connections and help people draw, you know, appropriate conclusions based on our training, I think the better off we will be as a society. So I see social media and science communication growing and I see it, you know, as much as, you know, there's misinformation and all this other negative stuff, you know, nothing that's good comes without some negativity. I think overall, it's a really positive thing. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think there are a lot of opportunities for just expanding education or educating people using these platforms. But I kind of feel like sometimes in academia, it almost seems like it's frowned upon to even try to develop this sort of platform that you've created. So do you have any thoughts on that? Or like, for example, I have a YouTube channel, but sometimes I almost feel like I shouldn't post on it at all because as a grad student, it almost feels like my entire life should be grad school. But if, if I'm doing research all the time and I'm not really sharing it with anyone besides people in my community, have I really made an impact? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, so I think it's kind of like a... <laughs> It's a very interesting question and conversation because in some ways, when you're really trained and specialized scientist, you know a lot about a small thing, right? That's what they say. As you go up in education, you learn more and more about less and less. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes the research that you're doing isn't necessarily relevant to like a general public audience. But the more we talk about it in layman terms, the more we can relate it to like, hey, yeah, this is super specialized, but this is the bigger picture. And these are the possible implications. And this is just, you know, even if it doesn't change your life today, maybe it's an interesting way to look at the world. That is so, so valuable. And I think that's really the core of science and what it, in my perspective of what it should be, it's really tapping into the curiosities of human beings or natural curiosities and saying, how can we approach the world in a, you know, a different way? How can we look at the interactions, you know, like biology's interactions between organisms and chemistry's interactions between molecules and elements and physics is interactions between energies and particles. I don't know. Right. Physics. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like it's just, it's a way of thinking about the world yes. and saying, you know, our curiosities are there. How do we capitalize it in a way that makes sense? And that's, I, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to do when we communicate science at different levels and in different ways. So I think, I mean, I didn't know you had a YouTube channel. You tell me about it. <laughs> I, yes, I can tell you. I mean, I can tell everyone about it. I basically was just trying to talk about, um, uh, like give advice to undergraduate students as a first generation student, you know, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I just felt like sometimes, even though I completely agree with you, science is such a beautiful thing and these different fields allow us to view the world differently. It feels like taking time to communicate that to the general public is just frowned upon for some reason because it's not going towards my specific research. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only. No, one no. I I know way. what you're saying. I think I think there's a little bit of like a gatekeeping problem, just mentality. Maybe I mean you're not actively trying to do that, right? You're actively trying to communicate science. But I think there is this little bit of this mentality and a little bit of elitism as like you know I'm in the science field. I'm in a, P- a PhD in chemistry. I'm doing this specific research, and like unless you're as learned as me, unless yours researches me, then this really isn't for you. And I mean, whether or not it's directly obvious or if it's, you know, kind of indirect through how difficult it is to digest scientific material, right? Really intense literature works. I think that that can come across as, you know, there's this, there's this gap and some people are really working to, to bridge it. And some people are really just wanting to live on the high end of it and be like, yeah, well, this is where we're at. So I, I kind of get what you're saying for sure. Okay. Well then, yes. sorry, uh, related to that, I guess thinking about what you just discussed and described about um, the feelings people have towards science communication, how do you hope to build your platform on TikTok or even just your other social media platforms with this in mind? And what is your dream for your social media accounts? million followers. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. it. Let's get uh, <laughs> I mean, I honestly with TikTok, I'm still trying to figure out exactly, you know, how I want to grow my platform. Um, but I currently I'm really loving it for the idea of teaching right now. I mean, I got into high school teaching and chemistry education because I love teaching. It was just kind of the the demographics and the situation I was in that didn't work out for me. But teaching is something that's always resonated with me and really brings me joy. Um, Another thing that I'm kind of trying to use my platform for right now is I want to lean really heavy into my non-traditional path. And I want to start, you know, showing people that, you know, while some wonderful people like you can go for that PhD and can pursue it and they love what they're doing and they're doing that research and that's great. Or, you know, they go into med school or whatever. There are other paths outside of that. And I think sometimes it gets lost a little bit that, you know, you can, you know, with a bachelor's, you can still do something valuable and meaningful in STEM. If you don't, or if you aren't interested in that research component, it doesn't mean you're not a part of STEM. It doesn't mean that you, you know, don't have something valuable to contribute. So I want to, you know, start bringing that into the conversation a little bit more. And like you, Kimberly, I'm, I'm also first generation. I'm first in my family to get a bachelor's and first in my family to get a master's. So I, I appreciate, you know, other people who are like, I didn't think I could do this, but I saw that you were able to, and now I feel like I can. And before I was just like, I'm just doing this because, you know, this is something I'm interested in. But once I saw that that could have that kind of impact on other people, I really, I started leading into it a, a bit more. Cause I'm like, you know what, if, if nothing else, I could be that, you know, advocate and that voice and that mentor for, you know, a person who may not have anybody else. So that's, that's another definite thing that I want to use the platform for. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that that brings up this question about what is science communication in the first place? Because I think a lot of the ways that people traditionally approach it is I'm someone here who's educated. I'm someone who's in academia and I'm going to explain the scientific topic to everyone else who doesn't understand it. 
And that is going back to kind of the conversation earlier, this kind of gatekeeping in academia. And this is why grad students and other trainees and pretty much everyone working in academia feels essentially guilty for spending their time on more non-traditional approaches to science communication, I guess, because the system is set up that way to essentially make you feel bad if you're not doing something that's producing for the institution right, where's your of first academia. Papers? You don't have time right. yet? What are you doing a YouTube for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you kind of have to think about who is that mindset benefiting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that traditional kind of science communication is not necessarily bad if you approach it in the right way, I think. Of course, some very complicated scientific topics need explaining for everyone's good. But also, I think so much of critical, crucial science communication is really making science as a field accessible for young people and underrepresented people who don't necessarily see themselves in that field. And Tamara, it sounds like a lot of the work that you are already doing fits into that. And same with you, Kim, definitely. I think that that is almost more important in some ways than other forms of science communication. And so going off of that, Tamara, as a former STEM educator at the high school level, how do you think that we could change education at the high school level and even younger levels too for people to teach them about science, but also help them kind of see themselves in science? Yeah, so um, I would say one of the biggest disservices that I felt or I feel happens at the high school level as well as below, and it's almost especially below, is that we kind of tend to take the curiosity aspect out of STEM. And I talked about this earlier where it's like Mm -hmm. science is curiosity explored, right? It's taking our natural questions and it's saying, how can I approach this in a systematic way? That's the scientific method. How can I approach a curious, a curiosity, a question in a way that can get me to a logical conclusion and help me understand the world better? And I don't feel like we're imparting that, that onto our students. I don't feel like we're giving them those tools instead. Like, I feel like if you asked an average person, Hey, how was your high school chemistry experience? (laughs) They would be like, Oh, like I had to memorize so much. And they made us do all these like random math (laughs) things. And I'm like, (laughs) Right. Not inspiring at all. Um, and I, you know, one of the things that we could probably do, and I mean, this is a big pie in the sky, but it's just, if we started to value education for what it could be, right. These relationships, these mentor relationships between an experienced person and somebody that's trying to learn, if we valued that more, if, you know, teachers are better paid, if schools are well-funded, right. If we had these proper supports in place, I think it would start, you know, that profession would start to be attractive to people who are actually qualified to give this perspective to students, right? Because if you're, if you're not in science and you don't already appreciate science, what you're going to give off is, hey, read this part of the textbook. Oh, complete this worksheet. Oh, this is what I thought, you know, this is what the periodic table is. And these are the elements. There's no connection and there's no, um, like I said, no curiosity being drawn from that. So my pie in the sky. I mean, obviously I value teachers very highly, but our education system needs a lot of work in that realm. So, you know, people that care are the ones disseminating this information and they are the ones imparting this, the, these tools to the future generation of students. Right. 
But you bring up an interesting point that like in order for them to care, we would really have to incentivize it. And that's difficult to do because there's yeah, not it's like almost funding. a cyclical, yeah, it's like a cyclical issue. It's like, at what point in the cycle do we really try to attack? And I think there are plenty right. of people trying to attack it from different directions. And I know that there's all, you know, there's conversations already happening about this. Um, and it it is just a long process of moving things in the right direction semester after semester, year after yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I do have hope for the situation too, because I'll just tell a brief story. I actually used to have another podcast where I did something similar and um, interviewed people, underrepresented people in STEM. And I interviewed a high school teacher actually who developed this engineering program at multiple high schools where he, it was amazing. Actually, I actually started crying during the episode because I was so inspired. Fired. Yeah. He adapted just for um, the chemical engineering example. That's the one I really remember because I'm chemi. But he actually adapted this book that was created by a professor at UC Davis, and it's um, create uh, like the this process of making coffee, but like the actual chemical engineering process behind it. And of course it is for a college level introduction to engineering course, but he went, this high school teacher went out of his way to contact the author of the book, purchase multiple books for his classroom and change the structure so that it could be taught at the high school level. And so after meeting him, I was so incredibly inspired because I was like, okay, there are people that do care and that there are people that care enough because first of all, for those who don't know, chemical engineering is like really difficult to expose people to because really what we learn about is giant reactors and all these crazy things. But the fact that he was able to take it and apply it to an everyday substance that people are constantly exposed to was really cool. And so there are people out there who still care and there are ways that we can change the education system. It's just finding the right way to implement it on a large scale. Yeah. And then, and supporting and supporting exactly that teachers who are doing this sort of thing, you know, and trying to go against the grain a little bit and incorporate these much more interesting and valuable lessons into their classroom. I mean, that's a very challenging thing to do. I mean, as a teacher, I tried doing a lot of that and it's almost a full-time job trying to pull in curriculum of that capacity and learning it yourself and working out the issues and like getting the students engaged and anything that supports that I'm 100% behind because that's what students need. How do you tap into their curiosity and then give them the tools to explore it? 100% how I view science. Yes. Yes, agreed. So then going off of that, uh, what would you like to see differently about the way we teach science? I guess it's kind of related to what we already talked about, but yeah, what would you like to see differently about the way we teach science and engineering, but at the collegiate level? Yeah, so my my current position actually gives me a really interesting insight to how labs are being taught. So, I mean, I'm, I prepare all the chemicals and equipment for our instructional labs and I've done the, the lower level general chemistry, OCHEM one classes, and now I'm supporting our upper division classes. And so truthfully from that lens and what I've seen over the last few years, what I would love to see is just a better utilization of all of this lab time that we're, you know, asking students to take so many hours of lab and 
I think if we utilize that time to teach things or incorporate things like critical thinking and risk assessment, you know, in addition to these techniques, I feel like that would be really great for the students. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've asked a student, whether it's like 200 level or 400 level, like, you know, why are you doing this? And they're like, I, I, this is the procedures, this, you know, this is what it tells me to do. And it's like, oh, mind blowing to me that a student at in a 400 level class can say that they truly have no idea what they're doing. Um, and I mean, like, what, what is the point if you're having a student learn how to, you know, run a gas chromatography machine, but they have no idea why they're doing it. What are you actually teaching them how to push buttons on, you know, a semi-complex machine that they may or may not see in the future. It's like the why I feel is so valuable and we should, that's in my opinion, that should be one of the main parts of that lab component is why do we do things? How do we get at these discoveries? How do we get at these, you know, um, curiosities in the hands-on way? It's an, it shouldn't be, here's a cookie cutter process. I mean, yeah, you know, it's good, have a procedure, but why would you add this reagent? Why would we do it at a higher temperature? Why would we, you know, use this instrumentation as opposed to something else? What's the context of what we're doing? And I think one way to really start implementing that at the collegiate level is, is very simple. I think it's a quick fix of instructors just holding students accountable. Start expecting them to know that, you know, don't, don't just say, oh, well, you, they didn't read the book or whatever, and they're just coming in here to get the lab done. It's like, you don't have to make it a formal thing. Just informally ask them, get them thinking about it. Um, somebody actually commented on a TikTok of mine recently, and they said something that was like so mind blowing to me. They said, you know, education in, in, you know, where I'm at the master's level is not really about the things I picked up, but the ability to discern what's important and what's not right. First time you go into a lab, you might think like, Oh, all of these factors are important. But as you get through the experience, as you get mentorship, as you start to learn about, you know, all the different variables, it's, that process that allows you to say, oh yeah, the temperature actually does affect things here, or this affects stuff there, or like the less precise I am here, that's actually going to make a difference. And so if we as, you know, if the instructors actually take that and they start informally just planting the seeds, hey, why are we doing that? Hey, what's that important for? What's this part? You know, even, you know, small things like, why are you wearing gloves here? Why are you doing that there? Those small questions start to, you know, turn the wheels and they start to get students thinking about, hey, I'm able to discern what's important here. So then when they go on to the, you know, the research projects, undergraduate, grad research project, PhD programs, industry, they actually now know what to look for as opposed to just like, yeah, it's, I just follow this procedure. Like, I don't know, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You're such a skilled educator and you have such an amazing mindset that we really need across the board. And you're right. It Thank does, you. it does kind of get back to funding in order to find people who really care like you do. And it's like, I think ideally all of our teachers and instructors and educators would be people like you who are, are asking students these questions all the time. 
But yeah, I, I just think. Thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, this conversation is really inspiring to me, honestly. And so I guess just to wrap it up a little bit, I kind of like to end episodes by giving people a little bit of advice from our guests about things that they can do out in the world. And so for people listening who might want to get involved in science communication on social media, how would you best advise people to do that to get started like what are some good tips and tricks for communicating science over social media so i would say the first thing you want to do is understand what the different platforms are and what they offer and try to match up with you know what you feel you're good at and what you're comfortable with i mean you know there, every platform has its pros and cons and base level anybody can do science communication you can start from scratch you don't need a guidebook. You don't need a rule book. You just get on there and start sharing what you're passionate about. But for example, Instagram, you know, is, you know, these pictures and diagrams and Canva posts and whatever, right? If you're really good at crafting those, maybe Instagram's a platform for you. If you really like talking and you can summarize stuff in, you know, short bursts, maybe TikTok's right for you. You like longer form content, think of YouTube. You don't like any of those. You want to just blog about your experience, do that. There's so many avenues and so many areas where science communicators are needed and different platforms that, you know, people that are ingesting information want to find information from. Anybody can do it. Look, find the platform that works for you. Get on there. Just start sharing your passion. And I promise you the followers will come. The audience will, will join you. They'll find your passion and they'll be just as excited as you are as you share it. They will match that energy and they will resonate with the things that you're talking about. So don't be afraid. People make mistakes. I used to think that the internet was like this scary place that all my mistakes were just going to be forever <laughs> documented. And now it's like, it's a mistake, right? This, I learned and now I'm doing something different or right. whatever. I don't think it's a mistake. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, whatever yeah. it is, it's not as scary as it can be. Just make the first post, just do it and get that fear out of the way and keep going with it. Yeah. I love that. That is really great advice. You've inspired me to keep up my YouTube channel. Yes, because... yes do it. Yes, you it's should. So tough. Oh, yeah, it's I tough, watch. but I'm going to do it, guys. All right. Yes. Fine. Everyone follow me. My name is Kim Janier. <laughs> shameless plug. Awesome. Shameless plug. Oh, also me, shameless plug, chemist tea. Yes, <laughs> yes. And we'll, we'll put that info in the episode description for sure. Okay. Sure. Awesome. So, well, thank you, you so, so much, much, Tamara. This was really great talking to you. It's so refreshing to speak to someone that cares so much about STEM education and just, you know, getting the word out. So thank you for being it, here. It is refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Ditto. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and just to put it out there also, this was my first podcast ever. So I was nervous and I did it. And look at that. Here we are. We're alive. <laughs> Yes, and you did an amazing job. Thank so you thank guys you. so much. I'm so excited that you were able to to reach out and get me on here. I was so happy to talk about it. Of course, this. fellow charter alum, always. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, this is so fun. Thank yeah. you, Tamara. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And good luck. I mean, you're almost done. So good luck, PhD. Yeah, Kim, yeah. You're, you're on the road. Good luck with the future podcast. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bench, a production from SciComm at UCR. This podcast is supported by Science for Citrus Health and the UC Riverside Graduate Student Association. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SciComm UCR.